Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Let's get it started. It's another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, I'm David Summers. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, my man, Ron? Oh, man, nothing uh, nothing but good, Dave. Just uh down here in uh, sunny Florida, and uh, and about to make a move, man. About to, uh, about to go back uh, to Tennessee. Uh, that's, next, that's interesting. And, and, you really you have not really revealed that to your Studcast audience about no. moving back to. Is this to, to you? Is this like moving back home? Yeah, it is, man. It sure is, man. In fact, uh, I was up there uh, about less than two weeks ago, and. I'd just forgotten how beautiful it is up there in that part of the country. And uh, you do springtime just coming and uh, the pear trees, all those white blossom pear trees were blooming. And the, mm-hmm. oh, it was just really, really pretty, man. I actually went up on on top of a mountain that sits between the Cherokee National Forest on one side and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park on the other, 4,000 oh, yeah. feet up. And, wow. Uh, you know, wow. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful views I'd ever seen. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of headed back to Tennessee and uh, and kind of looking forward to it. Man, we're going to get four seasons again, Dave. Yeah, yeah there you, know? you go. Folks that have been to that area, listen, they call it God's country for a reason. But you, you're leaving just an absolutely beautiful place. And I've, been, I've seen your place there uh, in the St. Petersburg, Florida area. A lot of folks would say, Man, why would you leave Central Florida? You got perfect weather. So anyway, so it really, it really is going back home. Yeah, 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 it is. Uh, you know, and uh, and I've been uh, this time. I've been down here for almost twenty years, and I spent probably half my life uh, once I started wrestling, back and forth living in Knoxville and over in that mountain area. And uh, you know, now it's like uh, it's like going home again. Like I said, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the humidity here down here this far south is uh you know and and it's gotten to where it's summer all year long here yeah humidity <laughs> can mean? be a little strong in in that area yeah i mean you know <laughs> when you, you're gonna have you're gonna have a uh, 90 degrees days now in uh february yeah you know, oh, no January, doubt. february and uh and that and the humidity the wind coming out of the south and the caribbean and gee yeah. it's a uh, 
Well, and the the part of Tennessee you're going to, you really do get winter, and occasionally you get snow to go with that as well. So, And I know you're going to be in a beautiful part of the country. So, hey, congratulations on that. And then, listen, congratulations, too, because you, you've got a couple of milestones ahead of you. One is you're about to reach the 40th Super Stud Cast, and you're closing in on the 200th Stud Cast. This is number 195. And you're only five away. And listen, that means one per week for the last 195 weeks. It's amazing how you get this done. But it's not amazing that you're the storyteller. We've been saying that week after week for almost 200 weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's just a staggering figure for me. And, you know, I didn't realize uh, 195 means one. You've been doing this for four years at least. You're And you're about to pop over that four-year time period and 40 super stud cast. That's just yeah. truly amazing as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Uh, you know, I am honored that I have enough listeners out there and it just continues to grow every week that enjoy, uh, you know, what I do. And, uh, you know, my, my little piece of history here that I'm able to provide the wrestling fans that, that I just feel real honored to, uh, having had the experiences that I've had in that sport and, and be able to, uh, send it back out, uh, be able to talk oh, about God. it and uh, be able to teach people what it was all about. You know, yeah, and, 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 you know, it's kind of funny, uh, th these days, you know, there's no more kayfabe. So, uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable with, with, uh, <laughs> I think what we were doing, we were providing a tremendous amount of entertainment for so many people and then going through a lot of things that fans didn't realize. And yeah, it's yeah. really nice to be able to just open that door and say, here it is. And here's what happened. And here's how it went down. And I think a lot of people out there, especially uh, old school fans, are so hungry for that. They they want to hear what was behind the closed door. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what we do. And uh, we're almost two hundred episodes into talking about it. And I, I and it, and one week at a time. Basically, we're breaking this down one week at a time, Dave. Uh, we could be here a few more years, man. Uh, talking about uh, southeastern in Knoxville, and we're going to go southeastern in Pensacola. We're going to go to Continental. We're going to go to USA Wrestling, and that's just the wrestling part of it. I mean, wow. <laughs> we're, we're potentially at least eight, nine, maybe even ten years of, of wow. stuff in the future. Uh, well, yeah. listen, you've been you've been knocking this thing out week after week. And uh, and even right here in Southeast Alabama, you got a ton of wrestling fans in this area and a ton of of stud and stud cast fans in this area as well. So I have more and more folks approaching me like, hey, I hear you on the stud cast. And that kind of surprises me, but they, they really do love it. And four years of, of telling stories and wrestling history. That's a lot, Ron. I mean. It's you've covered most everything in the Studcast alone from your grandfather, Roy, in the early 1900s, all the way to 1977, where we're, where we're, we're on this Studcast, where we're, we're at today. And then you're on the verge of setting an all-time attendance record for a major arena. And that in its day is pretty, that's pretty awesome. And so really it's been a, a remarkable, a remarkable life so far. 
Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I've been blessed, Dave. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I, I've lived a tremendous life. I've been all over the world. I've had uh, success in not only wrestling. I was lucky enough to have success in hockey of all sports. Uh, I've had success in real business world, ADT, dealership. Uh, uh, I've done a few things in my life, and uh, and it's just been really, really good. And, and I really enjoy what I'm doing now. I really enjoy these things. I really enjoy sitting and talking to people and, uh, and, and, and it's seeing the response, which is really, really remarkable to me. Uh, these people on Facebook and on my Twitter and on, mm-hmm. on the Instagram and all the different social platforms are, uh, they're so complimentary. They, they, they just love it. They love the fact that, uh, you know, uh, I'm telling it like it was. And, uh, it's fun. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, I, I'm very, very glad I got involved in it. And, uh, I'm four years in and, and uh, heck, I, I I might be fourteen years in before <laughs> before uh, before I get old enough to kick the bucket, man. Right. <laughs> hey, well, listen. Uh, before we before I ask you where we're going to hit the trail and and get started and where we're headed to, so we've heard a lot of great things about you. So we've we've obviously we've heard the good side of, about Ron Welch, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, and how you've been. You, you've been a giver all the way along. You've helped charities. Is there is there any you, you've you've been an innovator? What about the bad stuff? Is there any bad stuff? Oh man, I mean uh, nobody has a life that ain't got some of that in it, Dave. <laughs> you know, I'd be I'd sure be lying if I said no. It's all been a smooth ride, you know. But uh, uh, the old horse has thrown me a time or two. No, you know? come on now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, everybody gets bucked off. You know, yeah. and, uh, so, uh, you know, but I've managed to get back up and get on again. And, uh, oh, that's and, what uh, it's all about. And, uh, that's, that's what life is all about. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. You know, I had to review on that one. Listen, we talked to, we, we say such incredible things because listen, this has been, it's been a, a, an awesome e- existence and you were so far ahead of your time, uh, from, from a, a young age and you, you even still are. So that's pretty awesome. All right, stud, where are we riding to today? Well, this ride's going to be uh, full of surprises for people out there, man. And as we get closer, man, to this uh, record-breaking first appearance of the NWA champion Harley Race in Southeastern Wrestling, and and I'm not so I'm not sure about this, but but I know if I'm wrong, somebody out there on social media is going to let me know. But I think that this upcoming NWA World Title match with Harley Race is going to be Harley Race's first ever title defense in the state of Tennessee. Now, then, then, you know, I, I'm laying that out there and I expect, man, I'm going to get a lot of, a lot of people that are going to straighten me out on this, but, uh, I got a feeling, uh, if everybody does the research or whatever, they're going to find out whether this is true or not, but, uh, <laughs> hey, we're coming to a great time frame for Southeastern wrestling and uh, in today's training. That's where we start most every day. Now we're, we're going to take a deep dive into the rumor that I heard. And I spoke about it in the last studcast that some fans out there had found out that I own Southeastern wrestling. Uh, we're going to look, you know, and then that's a big problem. So, so uh, we kind of got started on that last week and I want to break that down for fans. So they realize what this is all about and how bad that could be. 
And we're also going to look at the tremendous card of Friday night, April 21st, 1977, that is absolutely filled with surprises that are going to shock, I believe, some of the listeners out there today, just like it shocked the fans actually 44 years ago. Uh, there's going to be a fantastic TV on this one, and, and, and it in itself has major surprises. And then we're going to cover the results of that big Coliseum card on the 21st of April and the attendance for it. The learning tree question today is perfect for this studcast. It comes from a lady, and uh, she asks, uh, what was I doing, if anything, in the Coliseum to expand the seating to accommodate larger crowds? That's a great question, you know, uh, and uh, I look forward to, to telling this uh, lady, uh, you know, to laying it out there. You know, uh, I definitely wasn't sitting on my butt at home. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> All right. It sounds like we're full of surprises for this one. So my horse, Governor Droopy and I, uh, we're as ready as we're going to get. And so are we starting off with today's training? What, what are we doing? Uh, yeah, we're starting with today's training, but I uh, dog, man. What was that again? I got you. Got to tell me that one again. Governor, Governor Droopy, Droopy. A horse you know, a I horse. don't mind the governors. You know, I mean, there's one in every state, but I'd be danged if I want a horse that's called Droopy. I, you know? I think it's I a mean, pretty cool kind of name. So I don't, I don't know. Again, here we go. But that's that's fine. That's fine. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't understand. You know, uh, you know. Where we're going to get, we're going to have to find a place to get your horses for you, Dave. You know, I mean, uh, you, well, you're in a bad part of the country there or something. I'm in no hurry. I'm <laughs> in no hurry, Ron. Lightning just needs to stay out of the way. <laughs> well, okay. I'll try to keep him out of the governor's way. In fact, he won't be in the governor's way because the gold governor droopy ain't going to be able to get close to him. So I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, let's stop off and change our shoes, okay? <laughs> I hope we don't have to do that. All right, so let's get to it, man. Today's training focuses, like I said, on a rumor from last week's studcast that I might be the owner of Southeastern Wrestling. And, you know, if I'd been discovered to be the owner, it would probably have led to my either having to sell the company or if I kept it, I don't think the company would have been nearly as successful if the fans were aware that I owned it. The training is also a little bit about bookers and how they use their ability to paint pictures with angles that can, if necessary, affect more than just the size of the crowds. You know, uh, the geez, it was amazing business to be involved in when you could do things that, uh, People didn't expect, and uh, you could keep people on the edge of their seat. It was fun. It was fun being a booker. In this training, uh, I'm also going to explain how a wrestling angle was used to hide the identity of the true owner of Southeastern Wrestling. So all this took place in the first segment of last Studcast TV show of April 8, 1977. The first segment of that TV show was loaded with unexpected surprises for all those fans who were watching 44 years ago, man. And one of those surprises was utilized to not particularly draw a bigger crowd, but more importantly, to cover up the fact that I own Southeastern Wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we did it in a way that nobody really recognized what was going on, but uh, that was what it was designed for. And for that reason, it may have been the most important 20 minutes of television ever done in Southeastern because it worked. 
So, so let's look back and break down that 20 minutes of the TV show from uh, April 8th, 1977. The first 20 minutes of that TV show is what it was. And I think uh, this review is going to help listeners today to grasp everything that I intended to accomplish 44 years ago. So obviously, today's training is all about the two men wearing the Southeastern Booker's hat since 1977, and that was my brother and I. And in fact, it was very common for owners of wrestling companies to also be one of their stars. I got a lot of examples of that come right off the top of my head. My grandfather, Roy, ran a great deal of the southern United States, and he was one of the company's stars. And uh, Eddie Graham, let's take Eddie Graham in Florida, one of the company's stars. Ray Gunkel and my father, owners in Georgia, company stars. Vern Gagne in the AWA, he was the big man, and he owned the company. Dick the Bruiser in the WWA. The Sheik in big-time wrestling, it just goes on and on and on. Obviously, I was one of those people, you know. It was simply the kiss of death that fans discovered who really owned these companies. It, it just, it would, it destroyed uh, everything. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it did, we just had to do something when, when I got this rumor back 44 years ago that my name was being bounced around as being the man. So in early April, 1977, I was told uh, that that was the case. I had a couple of friends that said, Hey, I've heard this going around. And, uh, geez, so, so I'd been known just as a wrestler for Southeastern for two and a half years at that point. And if I wanted to continue having success, I had to kill the rumor or it was going to kill my business. It was one or the other. So this angle on TV was probably the most important one ever done in Southeastern. <laughs> it was, like I said, on the show of April 8, 1977, that's, that basically this stopped that rumor in its tracks. Uh, it was the beginning of it. We're going to continue it for the next few weeks with the angle, and uh, we're going to continue uh, utilizing it to bury that rumor that I had anything to do with it being an, uh, as an owner of the company. So I was trying to work my way to another world title shot at this time period, and I was going to try to cover up my ownership to Southeastern. I had to do something drastic, and that angle happened on the first segment of that TV. I decided to create a realistic controversy between my company and myself built around a world championship match. I had somebody the other day that uh, grasped this, that listened to the show, and they said, uh, Vince McMahon stole your idea, Ron. <laughs> what is that? That's uh, yeah. 30 years later. You know, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been saying it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it was a pretty unique idea. I don't know that it had ever been done. I don't know if this angle had ever been done before, but the angle accomplished it. It began with me on the edge. I was just about to get the NWA title shot and the Southeastern uh, wrestling. Uh, I made it appear that my own company was trying to steal the opportunity from me. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, not a bad way of doing it. So long before this rumor, I'd figured myself, to get the title match with Harley Race. Uh, two months earlier, I thought uh, deeply about who's the best person for this shot. And uh, the obvious reason that I came up with myself is because I had beaten the last two NWA world champions in Knoxville ring. <laughs> you know, and the decisions were reversed on both of those mm-hmm. title matches. Then I won this match with the Mongolian Stomper with both Southeastern titles at stake on April 7th, 1977. And 
after the hearing the rumor that I was the owner of Southeastern a couple of days, but just before that match is the first time I ever heard it. I decided the best way to handle it. It was an angle within an angle. Uh, my original plan was to be announced as Harley's opponent on the TV of April 8, 1977. And instead, I decided uh, I was going to have Southeastern double cross me, you know, and, and they, they made me have to win again against the Stomper in the Lumberjack match to still have a chance. Uh, it, it really put me uh, in a bad position and, uh, and it made the company look bad too. The Stomper was also back in the running as a competitor by the time, you know, uh, he's going to win the title from me. A couple of days after this Lumberjack, he's going to win his championship back. Hmm. So to make the angle look even more one-sided, if I lost uh, in this Lumberjack match, I was going to lose the opportunity to, to wrestle the champion at all, period. It's all gone. So anyone believing I had an end to get the title match because I own Southeastern, they would have had to start guessing themselves big time. Like, what in the heck is going on here, man? Why would this be happening? So then in the same TV segment, suddenly Terry Funk gets involved again in, in Southeastern, and he's offering another bounty. You know, and instead of getting closer to the title match, it looked like it was slipping away from me. Like, wow, you know, what? Ron's not going to be the guy to work, work with the champ. So it made it look like Southeastern was obviously more interested in Funk or the Stomper getting the title shot than there was me getting the shot. So Southeastern's allowing Funk to again put up a bounty, not doing anything about it. And that made it even more convincing that the company ain't, you know, why would the company not go, hey, you can't do that, man. You know, last time you were highly involved, now you're not really involved here and, and you're, you shouldn't be able to do that. It was definitely didn't make it look like the company man and me were were connected at all uh, <laughs> quite the opposite we were we were pretty much we were at war basically uh, there was a war starting between me and uh, against southeastern my own company so how could that be and, uh, <laughs> you know I, I think somebody's sitting at home watching it and they think that i'm the owner they go how in the heck could that be man what what's going on here so the beauty of it all was the fact that all of this apparent adversity from Southeastern toward my getting the world title match was just creating more sympathy for me from the fans. And I was becoming every week a bigger underdog. And we all know, Dave, how good that is for you as a baby face. I mean, you know, the bigger underdog you are, the, the yep. better you're going to get over. And all of this was going to, was going to work not only to help hide the fact I was the owner of the company, but also was going to help to ensure a tremendous crowd for me 12 <laughs> nights later. That's, that's funny. But the whole angle, man, that's dude, that's cool as ever, but I, I got a feeling it's not over with, right? You're not finished. Well, you know, you're getting smarter every week, Dave, uh, but, but old governor droopy, he, he's not, I'm not so sure about him, man. I'm, but we were really ready to ratchet up this angle on this show, this TV show, and this stud cast. And if those people that thought they knew I was the owner of Southeastern were paying attention the week before, this week's card, April 21, is really going to throw them a loop. <laughs> They're going to really be confused now. Wow. Okay. So I'm loving this. Are we going to get to the, the card next? Oh, that's exactly where we're headed, my man. Into right. the Coliseum. On Friday night, April 21st, 1977, 
just six days before Harley Race uh, comes to town to defend his NWA world title. This card has a is a shocker for Southeastern fans. Uh, so it's a, if we're we're really uh, we're really testing them here, man. Uh, we're we're keeping them highly involved, and we are just uh, they have no idea at this point who's going to get this deal. Really, it seems like week after week you're coming up with something that is keeping the fans guessing on the TV show, in the Coliseum, wherever you are. So it's all about this surprise deal that the audience is going, oh, oh, oh my God, what, what's going to happen? Dude, you've got them engaged like a soap opera. So that's, I think that's pretty cool. So let's, let's get to the surprise already. Go on with it. Okay. So this card on the 21st of April opens up with George McCrary against Don Wright. And actually, Dave, uh, there's two surprises on this card. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't have just one for them. I've got two. I'm not surprised. You know, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm having fun at this point. I'm a young booker man, and I got all these ideas running around in my head, and I've got an opportunity to use them, and I just uh, I'm I'm really really thrilled about it. I'm going to pop it on them here. This this card. One of those is the fact that everyone in that building on that Friday night, April 21st, was going to see a new Southeastern worldwide star for the first time. And uh, he was in one of those very popular four corner matches. You know, nobody had ever heard of him. And uh, that was the second match on the card. And the four men involved in that, this four corners match was the junkyard dog, Norvell Austin, Dick Steinborn, Rip Smith, and a newcomer from England, Tony Charles. All right. So I'm guessing you're probably talking about the same Tony Charles that came with you in 78 when you brought Southeastern to not just Alabama, but Pensacola and the old Gulf Coast territory, too. He, he was one of the best wrestlers I think I've ever seen. Oh, man. Uh, me, too. <laughs> I mean, he, he, was, he was something else. You know, and, and that's the same guy, Dave. Yeah, you're right. I brought him in 78 when Southeastern uh, Pensacola got started up. And uh, he was on this card. It was his first night ever in Southeastern. And by golly, he becomes an overnight sensation, man. Next match was going to lead us into the big NWA world title night. It was going to affect one of the matches that's on that card that isn't the world title between uh, Harley Race and whoever's going to get that shot. This one is going to, it's between Jimmy Golden and Bob Wharton Jr., who'd been having these time limit draw matches in Knoxville, two of them in a row, two weeks before this card. And they were both obviously junior heavyweights and the world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Royal was scheduled to defend his belt on this card of next week. And uh, whoever wins this match between Orton and Jimmy Golden is going to get the shot Nelson Royal on the following week. The next match on this card was booked after the TV show we talked about uh, in today's training earlier. And I had lost the Southeastern Championship belt back to the Mongolian Stomper in Hazard, Kentucky on Monday, April 10th, 1977, in front of 4,000 fans. And this is it's crazy. This is a little town up there, man. Uh, I don't think the population was over probably 30,000 people. And we drew 4,000 fans on this Monday night in, in April of 1977. And this loss, 
and by I just won the belt from Stomper in the in the match in which we were both things were in effect. I, my TV title was up, and his Southeastern Championship was up, and uh, I'd won that match. And then uh, just uh, three days later, bang, he he takes the championship back from me, and it just adds fuel to that angle, man, that's working between me and Southeastern. The Stomper was going to be defending the belt in this next match against a new opponent on this Friday, April 21st, 1977, and old Ron Wright coming back on the card, and he's getting a shot at being the Southeastern champion if he won, and it would obviously take the Stomper out of contention for this NWA title shot, completely out of contention, if he loses to Ron Wright on this card. This was an extremely important match. Next match on that card, was also an extremely important. The Bob Armstrong and my brother Robert were defending their Southeastern tag titles. They won them two weeks earlier against the former champions, the Von Steiger brothers. The junkyard dog, Norvell Austin, is getting involved in this one, and uh, he's going to be in the corner, the German's corner, and Rob and Bob are going to have somebody in their corner as well, and that's going to be Ron Wright. The main event was identical to the main event that started this great front. Southeastern and the tremendous growth in the last six months of that company. I would be wrestling the rattlesnake himself, Terry Funk, and the winner would be meeting the NWA world champion Harley Ray six nights after that match. Wow. Okay. So you are not kidding about the surprise on the next car. So, but here's the deal. I don't know how you top that, Ron. Well, as as good as last week's TV show was, with all the angles and all the intrigue, especially in that first segment uh, leading up the NWA title match, this TV of April 15th, 1977, I think is going to top it. It's going to top it. And uh, it it rocked fans' world, man, back in 44 years ago. Uh, someone least expected is going to not only appear live, but he's going to also wrestle on the TV show live. So we we got surprises. Like I said, this show had a lot of surprises, and this whole weekend had a lot of surprises for fans. So the TV show uh, opens up with less than the usual close-up shot. He's running down the card of the day, and when the camera's back away, it showed me sitting next to Les, and behind us on the big, huge set in the background was a still shot of me in the ring at this point. I was pretty bloody. And then, and I had, but I had my hand in the air, and I had a whole lot of uh, uh, guys that had been out there in this lumberjack match uh, on the floor that had got into the ring once I won, and they were kind of celebrating with me. Uh, so it was a heck of a shot. It had a lot of guys around me, and you could tell it had been a tough match. And uh, <laughs> but uh, I ended up uh, beating a Stomper two weeks in a row, which is amazing. I don't think that ever happened to the Mongolian Stomper before or since in Southeastern. Mm-hmm maybe nowhere. So bear in mind, Dave, and everybody out there listening, I wasn't supposed to be aware of what the card was for the next Friday. You know, so I'm I'm sitting out there. I've won this big match. I've beaten Stomper two weeks in a row. I beat him for his belt. And now I beat him in the lumberjack match. And I'm on cloud nine, man. Uh, I've got, I'm there. I'm going to get the shot. And again, as the week before, I was ecstatic, man, about my second win in a row over the Stomper, and uh, Les congratulated me, and he immediately called for the director to back the video up and roll it. Uh, and I think he was in a, anticipating. He was, and he was in a rush. It seemed like to me to get this tape backed up, you know. 
I was, he, I think he was anticipating I was going to do the same thing I did the week before, jump up and, <laughs> and put the belt over my head and say, Hey, I've won the deal, man. I'm, I'm wrestling, you know, race. Right. So the video was a short one, you know, and, and it was backed up only as far as necessary to show old Don Carson hitting the Mongolian stomper with his loaded glove again. <laughs> it costed him a second loss in a row. You know, <laughs> poor old Don. And, and I brought a lot of attention to that part of it. When Don started loading the glove and, and you know, I thought, here he goes again, guys. And, uh, you know, bang, I ducked it and. Wow, he just messed. He's just messing things up big time between him and the stomper. <laughs> uh, so you know their situation is pretty tenuous at this point. So after the video, I was in a great mood, man, and and I got a pop out of the studio right away. I said, you know, Les, I said the stomper's pretty much unbeatable unless Carson hits him with the loaded glove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I popped him with another nice. one. I said, if Carson intended to keep going this way, I said, by beating his own man with his loaded glove, he said, I told him, uh, I'd be watching my back when I was around the stomper if I was him. For real, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the fans were really into it. So I left that subject you know, and I started talking about my upcoming match in 12 days with Harley Ray. I just went right to where I thought things were going. And how it was something I'd always, as a third-generation wrestler, dreamed of, winning the world championship. And the studio fans were all inspired and jumping up and down and cheering like crazy. And, and Les brought us back to earth pretty quick. <laughs> and he started out the same way he had the week before. He started telling me, Ron, I'm, I'm sorry to, to have to say this, you know, but uh, the, the, there's another ske video schedule. He had a different way of uh, introducing the problem this week. He said, there's another video scheduled, Ron, and it was scheduled by the Southeastern officials to, to show to you in particular uh, on the opening of the show today. So they ran the video, and the next guy on the screen was the president of the NWA, Sam Muchnick. And uh, Sam spoke pretty much directly to me. You know, he, he said something about he always thought that I had a great chance to become the next NWA world champion and that, that I had proven myself to him in St. Louis many times. And if it were his choice, I would be named right now as the Southeastern opponent for Harley Race after that win that I had the night before. And uh, so he continued. And uh, Southeastern officials, he said, had decided to require me to get one more win in order to get the shot at Harley on April 27th. Hmm. And that I would not go against uh, the way Sam put it. Uh, you know, he says they have decided this. And he goes, I will not go against their wishes. And uh, they requiring you, he said, Ron, to get a win over the former NWA champion, Terry Funk. And he continued, he said, I'm going to make a ruling now, though, for Southeastern Wrestling, that the man that wins this match will definitely meet Harley Race for the NWA championship uh -huh. on April 27th. Wow. So my head kind of dropped. Studio <laughs> they went from the big cheers to booing again. You know, like, wow, they were upset. And then obviously I was too. So, you know, I, I looked at Les and I said, uh, I can't believe this. <laughs> he was like, what does this company, Southeastern, have against me? 
Right. And he yeah. kind of remained silent and he dropped his head and, and I waited for the answer. And then finally he says, uh, I'm sorry, Ron. He goes, it's not my decision. He goes, don't shoot the messenger, please. You know, and he kind of dismissed me pretty much. You know, he says, uh, it's time for our first match of the day. <laughs> and I was like, well, hell, <laughs> right. I'm nothing here. Right. You know, so. So I got up and left the set. You know, he's he's just already said, hey, th this is pretty much a done deal, Ron. You're going to have to wrestle Terry Funk to get this shot. Yep. And the studio was still bo booing the decision when I left the set. But, boy, they stopped that booing right away when all of a sudden old Ron Wright made an interest in, in, into the studio. <laughs> and uh, he was all fired up. He hadn't been there in a little while, man. And he got himself a quick win, and he went into Studio B for the next, the first commercial of the uh, first interview of the program. And uh, Don Carson joined Les at the set. And uh, Carson was all about, uh, you know, he was there by himself again. Second week in a row, he can't get his stomper to come out anymore. So Les began the interview with Carson by asking him, where's the stomper? You know, Carson didn't answer that question. Instead, he asked Les, who was the new Southeastern champion? You know, mm -hmm. because his stomper had won the title, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and he says uh, to Les, uh, why didn't you show that match of where the stomper beat Ron Fuller rather than the one that you showed last night where uh, I messed up a little bit? Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Les was ready for it, man. So Les says uh, something like, you know, like uh, maybe, maybe because fans are tired of seeing you, Don. <laughs> Especially when your champion doesn't even show up out here with you for interviews. Or how can they respect you anymore, Don? And all oh, Carson exploded. He didn't like that at all, man. He spent this entire amount of interview time screaming at Les. And he never mentioned Stomper's opponent at all, Ron Wright, for the next Friday night. So the first minute's over, his time is gone, and it's Ron Wright's turn. Boy, Ron didn't waste his time for the interview, though. Uh, he commented about Carson screwing up the last two weeks and causing the Stomper to lose two times in a row, and how he was hoping that though, old Carson was going to make another mistake and then knock out the Mongol for him again, and that he's going to be Southeastern <laughs> champion. Right, right. You know? right. And he finished by saying, you know, something about the, you know, if Carson didn't screw up, uh, then he would just have to give that stomper a good old Tennessee dog whooping. There we go. Right there. there. He got it in, man. It's uh, every interview's <laughs> in. You know? And boy, they went crazy when he did. They were waiting on it. So second TV match uh, was with the Von Steigers, uh, seconded by the junkyard dog, Norvell Austin. He's going to be their second the following Friday night. So he's out there with them on TV and boy, they enraged the crowd right off. They didn't give them the old Hitler salute. And then they demolished their opponents. They used their German crab hole as they called it. Uh -oh. Yeah. And uh, as soon as they got their victory, man, the old dog jumped up in the ring, man, and he raised their hands and, and then they split the interview with Bob Armstrong and my brother Rob for the Southeastern Tag Championship for the following Friday night. And Ron Wright was with them in Studio B. And, uh, you know, they, we got TV that's pretty well rolling, man. No doubt about it, for real. Wow. All right. So I'm still waiting on that special guest you mentioned earlier, but I think it's a good place to take a break. Let's do that. We'll be back. This Studcast will continue right here. Stay with us. 
Fans from around the world say they would love to have videos of the great wrestling of the past. Southeastern and Continental are classic examples of that. To own a piece of wrestling history is a dream. To realize your dream, all you have to do is go to TNStud.com. Click Stud Store. Get five DVDs, 67 historic matches, and 12 amazing hours for only $39.99, including shipping. Two of the best territories of the old school days, Hulk and Andre. Rick Flair, Bob Armstrong and Sons, Arn Anderson, Austin Idol, Kevin Sullivan, The Fullers, and Jimmy Golden, Jola Duke, Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs, Lord Humongous, Jacques Rougeau, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Tommy and Johnny Rich, The Nightmares, and so many more. Don't miss this exclusive offer. At TNStud.com, click Stud Store. Five DVDs, 67 matches, 12 hours, only $39.99 with no shipping. Cost. That's the best deal in the history of wrestling. Hey, it's David Summers. Welcome back. Another studcast with the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller, we are right in the middle of the story. And don't forget, tnstud.com. tnstud.com. Every studcast, every super studcast, you'll find it at tnstud.com. And in the stud store, you got photos, you've got t-shirts, You've got DVDs of wrestling matches and events from way back when. Check it out at tnstud.com. All right, before we hit the trail, Stud, you're going to do a little clearing up something, a clarification on a statement you made. You weren't far off about Harley Race's first title defense in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my my resident uh, historian, uh, the gentleman that records these programs, old Lou Kippelman, man, uh, he jumped right on me, uh, you know, during the break here. And he says, Ron, uh, you were a little bit off. So uh, so yeah. I don't have to hear it from the Snowsuit Media people. I, I already got straightened out by Lou, by golly. Yeah, and, uh, but you only missed it by about 30 days, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty close, you know. But it turns out that I wasn't the first uh, to wrestle him in the state of Tennessee when he became champion. I was going to be the fourth, actually. He had a match in Memphis. He had a match in uh, Chattanooga. And, uh, and then he had another one in Memphis uh, just a couple of days before I wrestled him in Knoxville. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say this, by golly, I guarantee you they didn't have the match with him. I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, and oddly enough, uh, Lou says that uh, Rocky Johnson uh, wrestled him uh, in Memphis. And then I think he wrestled him in a return match in Memphis. Uh, yeah. Is one of those three that wrestled him before I did in the state of Tennessee. So right. I ran my mouth and I apologize <laughs> to everybody, by golly. <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, and I thank you, Lou, for straightening me out. Uh, it's great to have somebody, man, as knowledgeable as, as old Lou that uh, jumped right on it, and uh, he, he got me straight before I we go he, any further. A, I think he's got an entire encyclopedia of wrestling. I, I mean, old school books. Is he what, is an encyclopedia of wrestling. It's, it's all contained in there somewhere. All right, so. <laughs> That's uh, that's good stuff. All right. So at least hopefully you don't catch too much flack on social media. All right. Back on the trail. Where are we riding to next? Well, we're going into the personality profile on this TV. And uh, this one is going to be done live. And it's going to get that studio audience. Wow. Roaring, man. So, uh, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen here on this personality profile. We do them live every once in a while. But Les opens this one up by himself. And then he introduces his special guest 
for this personality profile, Terry Funk. Oh, that studio went nuts. It's like, oh, you kidding me, man? They started booing him. He hadn't made he hadn't gotten in the studio yet. And they were already booing. And uh, you know, so he comes in, man, and they're not prepared for the man from Amarillo, man, the, the old former world champion. Uh, so Terry comes from the back of the studio. Uh, he uh, <laughs> out of the dark kind of he appears. And it was Terry's first time ever ever on Southeastern TV live. And, wow. uh, you know, he'd been on a lot of interviews that had been sent in there. He shows up, his fists are taped. He's wearing his cowboy hat. He's got his rope with him, a lariat with him. Uh, he's in wrestling gear, and uh, he's going to be wrestling on this show, too. He's not just going to be on the personality profile. He's going to be wrestling live on this show. Wow. So, yeah. So Les was as excited about it as the fans were excited about it. I mean, they were all booing, and Les is like, wow, got Terry Funk today, right? So they covered a lot of topics, as Les did in all the profiles. There was a constant backdrop, though, during this whole profile of boos from the fans. I don't think they ever really quieted. You know, and they talked about Les and Terry, about Terry's famous family, the, and, and the only two brothers ever to both be NWA world champions. And they talked about the match from last October where I was declared the winner and then the decision was reversed before Ronnie Garvin came and jumped off the top rope in my throat. Uh, you know, and, and, and Funk laughed about having a bounty and having paid Garvin the money. And he said he wished he, he had to pay the bounty to the Stomper and Don Carson from the night before, but they didn't get the job done. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take my money back to Texas with me. So, you know, and he said, uh, I'm here because I'm going to finish the job of Ron Fuller myself. He said, you know, how humiliated and embarrassed he was to be in this hillbilly heaven, he called it. <laughs> he <laughs> said, with tobacco chewing, uh, tobacco spitting toothless wonders around <laughs> and he pointed at the studio audience when he said it he said that he was only here because he was here to beat ron fuller next friday and then he would get his belt back on april 27th 1977 he said he hated the fact that this title match was going to take place in such a horrible and poverty-stricken place as Knoxville, oh Tennessee. <laughs> oh, I mean, Terry, he, he knew how to get it. Back. So this was now he began to hammer him with questions about me and Terry's past, you know, and Terry got upset. He accused Les, he, and he called him Thatcher. He said, Thatcher, you know, you know, so that was his name. He's kind of like a lot of other people that called that Les Thatcher rather than Les. He said, Thatcher, you know, you're asking all the wrong questions here. And he goes, uh, and you're just being ignorant and biased. <laughs> and he says, all these fools are out there. And he pointed again at the studio audience. So he accused the studio of, <laughs> I think he ran out of a nasty thing to say. He started accusing the studio of stinking. He said, I can't. What is there a smell in here? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. He says that he looked over there, you know, into the camera and he's pointing at the studio again. He goes, I don't think those people over there are bathed and weak. He said, he said, and he said something about, I can understand why. You know, he said, most of them don't have running water in their house. Oh 
And he said he had no doubt that Friday night he was going to beat that tall, lanky piece of shit named Ron Fuller. No, he did not. And, um, yeah, uh, and, and he said the word. He said the word. And uh, knowing that the show wasn't live, you know, he knew it was being taped. Right. And that they were going to have a chance to edit it before they aired it. <laughs> so he just popped it out, man. And boy, the studio fans, uh, they gasped, man, when he uh, said yeah. that word. Yeah. And uh, they had already been booing, but boy, they just took it up another notch. So the, the profile went a little longer than most of them, but boy, it was worth every minute of it. Funk already had tremendous heat. But after this profile, he was on fire. <laughs> no doubt. How often do you think other territories booked big names like Funk and actually got him to wrestle on TV? Well, I, I can tell you, uh, not many. Terry and Junior liked to go. Junior, not so much as Terry. Terry liked to wrestle in other places around the country. He spent a lot of time in Florida, and he probably spent a lot of time maybe even wrestling on Florida TV a lot. For me, I felt it was money well spent, man. Uh, he was going to be back in Knoxville three times in the next five weeks after this. Wow. That's pretty awesome that you get. I mean, first of all, how did you get Funk to do a TV appearance? Was that a part of a package that you had set up that said, okay, if we get you into the Coliseum, but you're also going to do the TV in advance? How, how do you work that out? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you, I, had to, I had to call him and we had to talk about it. And I told him what I had in mind and I told him uh, what we had done. And I told him the buildup to it and uh, that uh, and he knew he'd been sending the interviews in there and what he was saying on the interviews. And, you know, uh, I, I kind of put him in the place where I wanted him to tell me yes without asking him. Yeah. Uh, Oter yeah. was a great guy and he, he loved being taken care of he loved being uh, the star and uh by the time i finished kind of running down what we had done to set it up he says ron let me come and wrestle on tv for you wow wow like hell yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. and the, he knew that there would be tremendous exposure in another huge market oh yeah you know, that, that, that was all that Terry was a worldwide star, literally. I mean, you know, Japan, he was a monster yeah. star, yeah. much bigger than in America. And, uh, you know, he, he liked to go around the country and he liked to be seen. And, uh, he was such a phenomenal worker and such a tremendous yeah. talent. Wow. And, and, and fun, just yeah. a lot of fun to be around Terry. Just, uh, and just, uh, just the picture of that you described as he came out into the studio I mean, just said this guy's a main eventer. And so it, it's one of those deals that in that, that part of Tennessee, they, they were not accustomed to having, I mean, of course he was there for the big match with you, but, uh, that, that had to be pretty cool for that audience. So how do you, how do you top that? What do you put on after that? Well, next thing I'm going to do on this TV is, uh, I'm going to have Jimmy Golden come immediately out, out into the studio. And, uh, that kind of got the fans back on track a little bit. They kind of forgot about Terry for a little. And, uh, Jimmy was so good in those days. Wow. He had so much talent and he won the next live match on television right after Terry finished his personality profile. And he did it with a beautiful, drop kick off the top rope, man. And when they showed that sucker back an instant replay, it was so beautiful. And, uh, then Bob Wharton jr. Went to the set and, uh, he watched a two minute interview. He's there to set. And Les says, uh, I, I invited you out here, Bob, because, uh, 
you're involved in a match with Jimmy Golden, uh, that you may get a title shot at the World Junior Heavyweight Champion. And we have the World Junior Heavyweight Champion right here in a video today. And uh, Nelson Royal did a tremendous interview. He was a very great talker, man, and uh, very solid in the ring, too. What a hell of a worker. And Nelson, you know, he, so he basically they put them both down. You know, he said, I don't care which one of the two young punks I'm going to wrestle. He goes, I could probably beat either one of them with one arm tied back. <laughs> he didn't put them over too well. But, uh, you know, now Jimmy's in Studio B. And uh, after the video runs, Bob Orton don't, you know, he don't have a whole lot to say about it. He just kind of smiles and does his thing, his smirky little look. And, you know, like, uh, well, we'll find out. He was a he was a different character in that. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Colden's in Studio B, and uh, and they made comments about their show. And uh, you know, I think uh, Jimmy called it the showdown in K Town. Said, "By golly, you know, me and Orton have had, had a couple of matches, and there hasn't been a winner." And he goes, "I'm looking forward to it. Whoever's going to win it's obviously going to get the wrestle Nelson Royal on this big world championship card." So Terry Funk had the Southeastern fans already going crazy in the profile. And now when he comes into the studio, he's still got the tape fist and the, wow, the whole deal. And then now he's got the lariat and he's just swinging it around and fans are ducking. And it's like Terry's just going to take over. So uh, he humiliated his opponent. He And he spent most of the match uh, paying attention to the audience. Uh, more than his opponent seemed like. And he was making faces at the crowd that the cameras was getting it. And he was making collaring at him and saying, Oh, you ugly. And he was just like, <laughs> you could pick it up so loud, less it was being caught on Les's microphone. And so you could hear basically he's, he's making fun of the fans, you know. Yeah, he, so, it was a great time. Oh, man, he was having a ball, you know. Yeah. And he should have paid me, you know, <laughs> instead of me right. paying him. And the fans couldn't wait for the match to be over. You know, <laughs> get him out of here. So he put his opponent in the end of the match and his family's famous spinning toe hole, man. And he laughed at the studio crowd while he was doing the spinning toe hole. He was laughing at him. You know what? He was just a tremendous heel. Terry was a tremendous heel. And uh, so I had the last interview. And I hadn't been seen since the beginning of the show when I got the news that I was going to have to wrestle Funk to get the title shot. So I started out talking about uh, Southeastern. I said, I think this is the worst wrestling company I've ever worked for. <laughs> 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 I said, I've been all over the world, and I think this is the absolute worst company I've ever wrestled. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then I, then I said, you know, but I got to, and thinking about it less, I, I got to thank them. And I said, what they've done for me uh, trying to get this title shot with Harley Race is they put me in the ring with some of the greatest talent in all of wrestling. The, and right now, I'm in the best shape of my life. You know, How ironic is all of this? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm getting back at them, and they're throwing shots at me. And uh, so then I turned the deal to Funk, and, uh, and I reminded Terry of how he screamed in 1973 in St. Louis when I put the fuller leg lock on him. And he had to give up, you know, mm-hmm. and that he knew my hole was twice as painful as his spit in toe hole. And uh, how he screamed again in the Knoxville Coliseum last October when I put it on him after I had beaten him for the world championship and they reversed the decision. 
And then I end up putting the hold on him. And I, that no one in the country that had watched that video of that match said that I shouldn't be the present world champion. You know, I basically was robbed by Terry Funk. And then Ronnie Garvin tried to kill me, you know, after the match. And, uh, the, you know, the TV right. crowd was popping. They already started popping. They were getting into this. They, they had seen enough of Terry. And then I started saying, you know, that, that I was glad about seeing Funk's ugly face in the personality profile. I said, I was glad that, that I had to win one more match. Uh, glad it was going to be against the rattlesnake himself, Terry Funk. And I'm uh, glad to be able the next Friday night to put my fuller leg lock on him again. And this time, I'm going to send him back to that rat hole, Texas, in a big old cast on his leg. <laughs> And the studio just kept exploding, man, as I was going along. I continued with the fact I came from the oldest and largest family in the world, and not just three wrestling members like the Funk, but more than 20 family members, that I was going to make wrestling history, not just next Friday night, by whipping your sorry ass Funk. <laughs> That's what I said. Boy, the crowd is just going crazy, man. But six nights after I beat you, I'm going to beat the guy you couldn't. Harley race. <laughs> so, so I finished with a little bit about Texans and versus Tennesseans, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that if Funk wanted another shot at race, why didn't they give him a match in Texas? <laughs> why does he have to come here to get this match? You know, and I said uh, that this upcoming world championship was taking place in the great state of Tennessee. And the last person that should be in that match was a Texan. Mm -hmm. especially Terry Funk, For you real? know, and that I was born and raised in Tennessee and I was proud to be the one going to send Terry Funk home crying like a baby. He was next Friday night. <laughs> well, no doubt you had the audience. Uh, they had to be on their feet for this whole entire thing. So, but I, I mean, I'd love to have been at the Coliseum the next Friday night. So tell us what, what happens on, on that event. I what six nights later, maybe. Yep. So we're going to talk about this big card with Terry Funk and everybody else. So Don Wright in that first match against George McCrary got a win. Tony Charles electrified the crowd. I watched it. Wow. He won the four corners match and he did things in that match that uh, they only did across the Atlantic Ocean on the other side of the ocean and that had never been seen in Tennessee, man. And as the saying goes, uh, he got over in one night. I mean, Tony Charles was a sensation, man. Jimmy Golden shocked the Coliseum crowd, man. He snuck past an undefeated Bob Orton Jr., who had never lost in Southeastern until this match. And he earned the match the following Thursday with the World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Nelson Royal. A Mongolian stomper, obviously managed by Don Carson, retained his Southeastern Championship against Ron Wright because Carson didn't do anything. <laughs> he didn't get involved this time. <laughs> he was afraid to mess something up, I think. You know, he let the Stomper do his own thing, man. And, uh, and uh, Stomper really took it big time, man. He, 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 he went so far as to hurt Ron Wright in the match. Ron Wright couldn't come back in the next match, which was the tag team match. So with the help of the Junkyard Dog and no Ron Wright in uh, Bob or Rob's corner, and junkyard dog getting involved, the, the uh, Germans won their belt back. And boy, that was really, really a hot deal. I mean, I remember uh, that the fans were coming to the ring 
and uh, they they really had a hard time. The junkyard dog and the Germans had a difficult time getting back to the dressing room with not just their belts, but with their health. Man, crowd was really pumped. Wow, <laughs> main event time. So Terry and I had a match, man, that was, I thought, just as good as the world title match six months earlier. Fans were really into it from the very beginning of this match to the end of it. Uh, he finally got his spinning toehold on me at the end of the match. And his finish, his spinning toehold, it had a weakness in it. He was vulnerable when he was doing the spinning toehold. I had watched his matches. I'd been in a lot of matches. I had, uh, had been in his spinning toehold before. And as he bent forward every time he came around to spin, and that was to apply more pressure to the leg, he left himself leaning forward, kind of out over top of my body. And on the third spin, man, I reached up, I wrapped my left arm around his head. I rolled him forward over my body into a perfect small package. And my leg was already behind his leg because of the way he was punishing me. And it made it perfect. I was able to lock down his legs and his head. And uh, I was in a perfect position. I tightened up the old small package, and the referee counted Terry Funk out. Wow. That building exploded. Wow. Wow. They couldn't believe it. It was because of the match was so important. It was kind of a release of tension. When they finally saw the winner, That it was like more than just uh, they were pleased with it. It was finally over. You know, it was like that That made them pop even bigger. So the fans instantly, they stormed the ring, man, from all over the ringside area. And they probably were coming down from the upper level onto the floor. And I got mobbed on the way back to the dressing room. But Terry had to stay in the ring for about 10 minutes after this match before the police got into position and felt comfortable that they could get him back to the dressing room in one piece. Oh, uh, they God. hated Terry Funk, man. I mean, not, those those southeastern fans hated Terry. All right, remind me, and and maybe you already said this, but uh, I, I hate to ask you to repeat. But you you said six months earlier when you wrestled Terry Funk, who was then the NWA World Champion. Obviously, at some point, Funk must have lost to Harley Race. Oh yes, yeah, he'd lost the belt, and uh, and probably Lou has this exact date too. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably so. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was it was in this in uh, the early part of 1977. Uh, so, I think it was in Toronto, Canada. Was Funk looking for a return shot? Was that a guaranteed situation? Oh yeah, you know, normally he would have already gotten his return match, but right. uh, he he had not gotten it yet. And that's why he was even in the mix to begin with, I guess, yeah. uh, that Sam Mutzig was trying to put him in a spot to where he might be able to finally get his return match. So, right. And I don't think the fans would have liked it much, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Wrestling yeah. for the world title in Knoxville. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, that is a, a little unusual. So, but it's, but it sounds like the stage was really set for something pretty special. Six nights later, though. So what was the attendance uh, on this one? I bet you guys did pretty good, Ron. Oh, yeah. It was the biggest crowd yet in Southeastern history. Uh, It topped uh, the um, title match between me and Terry. It was about uh, 5,600. And in just two nights of that week, Monday in Hazard, Kentucky, where I lost the Southeastern belt back to the Stomper. And this event, four days later, we drew in two events 10,000 people. 
Southeastern set a new one-week record. It did over 20,000 fans in six nights. There And, there, you know, back in those days, Dave, uh, there were a few big territories that were doing that kind of business, much less the smallest territory in the country. Yeah, you said 20,000 fans in six nights. What, how many different towns, including Knoxville? How, did, you, did you do all of the usual, the small towns in Kentucky? Oh, yeah, kind of- oh, yeah. We had that Monday night in Hazard, which uh, 4,000 people came to see that night. Uh, and we end up there with 5,600. There's almost 10,000 of that 20,000 in just two nights. Right. So, you know, and then we went to regular towns. Other than that, I, the business was on fire. We we, yeah. we never went anywhere that wasn't just sold out and people leaving because they couldn't get in. It was a tremendous time period for, for I mean, but, but what's the freaking population of a town like Hazard? And you drew 4,000. Yeah, I, I really don't know what the population was. It was a, but I, I'm sure it was probably less than 30,000 people. I know yeah. that Harlan, Kentucky, not far from Hazard, had a population of 3,000, and we used to draw 3,000 people there <laughs> on Saturday nights. So, you know, the whole town was there, you know. They didn't have a, they probably didn't have a bank, but that would have been the time to rob the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, everybody was there. And a lot of policemen, and they weren't in uniform. Uh, they they were big fans. They wanted to come see it themselves. Yeah, that I mean, to me, that's just the amazing thing about that market. And you just you expanded from Knoxville and and just made uh, just just legendary history over over that period of time. All right, so obviously, amazing things were happening right there. All right, let's do this. Let's get the cold drink. We'll get a seat under the learning tree. Remind us, set it up again for us, Ron. Tell us what we got today. Well, uh, this question came from a lady. Uh, her name was Brenda McGuire, uh, and she asked, uh, what were you doing, if anything, especially in the Coliseum, to expand the seating arrangement to accommodate larger crowds? And I'd, I'd been sitting on this question for a little time, uh, Dave. You know, I got this question a while back, but it didn't seem an appropriate time to answer it. So this time frame is perfect for it. So I picked it this week because it was really relative to what was happening in April of 1977. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as I said earlier, you know, I wasn't sitting at home, Miss McGuire. I can tell you, I I was very (laughs) concerned about how small the Coliseum was, you know, (laughs) that's crazy, but uh, that's the truth, you know? So beginning in early April, knowing what was coming in the month ahead, with all these angles that we were doing and all the talent that was coming in and with Funk's going to be there, uh, Tony Charles is starting uh, and realizing the limits of the seating capacity in the Coliseum on the Terry Funk world title day, when we sold the building out, you know, I was visiting the Coliseum manager, Fred McCallum, pretty darn often. I was, I was there a lot talking about how can we put more people in this building? So we had immediately after the October 10th, 1976 Full House match with Terry Funk, uh, we began to talk, um, Mr. McCallum and I, about the ways to expand the seating range. In the early days of Southeastern, when we first went to the Coliseum in 1975, the problem was there was just a lot of empty seats, you know. Two years later, the problem was the building's too small. There's not enough seats. You know, we had just really, really grown dramatically. The giant upper level of the Coliseum 
was all permanent seats. So you could only put a certain number of people up there. They didn't allow you to sell standing room. We're going to get a little bit of that the following week, but uh, that was very unusual to get much of that. So there was no way to expand it or add more seats to the upper part of that building. And there were about 4,000 permanent seats in that upper part of the building. So Mr. McCallum and I, we focused on the downstairs level where ringside seating was. And uh, we had been adding slowly to these ringside chairs after that Terry Funk match. We were trying to figure out how we could get more people down there uh, and increase the, the attendance. So the first ever Southeastern Coliseum event on January 24th of 1975, we had a total of 500 ringside seats. And probably only 300 was full. You know, <laughs> this was way back in 75. Mm-hmm. And by the last event, the one I'm talking about that we just had here with Terry Funk, that attendance was at 5,600. And we had expanded the number of seats on the floor of that building from 500 to 1,500. Wow. Wow. Uh, There were four sets of giant platforms. They were called risers. That was the term for them with buildings. And uh, each one of those risers was filled with ringside chairs on all four sides of that building. Uh, And the risers set back far from the ringside seats. Uh, You know, ringside are set close to the ring, but all of them were ticket priced at ringside seats uh, because they were down on the floor. Yeah. So the Coliseum seating at that point. Now we were up to more than 1,500 seats on this 5,600 attendance. The Coliseum seating uh, was the largest ever available for a sports event in the building. And that building had been there since the early 1960s. So both Fred and I, we predicted, and he even predicted as I did, that we're going to need even more ringside run. We we don't want to turn any more people away than we have to. So we added, we increased the size of the largest two risers, adding four more rows of ringside chairs. So that added another 480 ringside seats downstairs. Now we're at almost 2,000 ringside seats on the floor of that building. We added 500 seats more than what we had on this 5,600 crowd. So Ms. McGuire, in answer to your question, we were prepared for a new all-time record for a sports event of any kind in that building. It was an awesome sight. I can tell you, I went down there the day before the match, and I stood at ringside, and the, the ring was already set up. They didn't have an event. I was alone in that building. Empty of people looking at all those 4,000 seats up top and all the 2,000 of them on the floor, yeah. uh, man, I got goosebumps, man. All we could do at this point, though, was just uh, sit and wait and see what happens. Man, that is awesome. These studcasts are becoming, man, it's just crazy, Ron. So it, it's it's pretty cool because you make us feel like we were there 44 years after it happened. No wonder that these studcasts are growing like they are, and folks can't wait every week for the next one. Hey, folks on Facebook, you can become friends with Ron on Facebook at either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page or author Ron Fuller Welch page by simply liking and following the page, you automatically become friends with a legend, a wrestling legend on Twitter and Instagram. It's Ron Fuller Welch on both of those. 
If you have not ordered the Southeastern Continental five-pack of DVDs with 67 matches over 12 hours of Ron's wrestling company's history, you are missing one of the best opportunities to own your own piece of wrestling history. This DVD set has a five rating by those that have it. Get yours today at tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Click Stud Store, only $39.99, and that includes free shipping. It's the biggest selling item on the website, and I'm sure you understand why. Plus, on the website at tnstud.com, it's the highly acclaimed novel called Brutus, written by The Stud. Nothing like this story anywhere. It could well be a movie someday. That may happen. It's got more than 45 five-star reviews from folks all over the world. A lot of folks are saying this terrifying lion story could be the next Jaws. You can get it on Amazon.com, Brutus Novel, or get the rare personally autographed copy from Ron himself, only $29.99 with free shipping at tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store. And speaking of Ron's website, the Stud Store also has T-shirts in black and blue with a number of stud photos, as well as hundreds of wrestler photos on the gallery, videos of Ron's matches, every stud cast, every super stud cast ever done, and much more. Take a ride over at tnstud.com. You can net a spell, and you'll be there a while. Super Studcast number 40, part one, now available. Great wrestling stars around the world are calling him to congratulate him on his 40th Super Studcast and his upcoming 200th episode of the Studcast. Get the new Super Studcast number 40 at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. It is filled with stars of the past. All right, that's a lot, but you've got a lot going on. So where are we riding to next week, Ron? Well, we're we're going to be riding literally into history next week. Uh, we're not going to have a today's training, nor are we going to have a learning tree next week. The entire stud cast is going to be devoted to the two world championship matches and the five total championship matches on Thursday night, April 27, 1977 in the Coliseum. Wow. And then, you know, I got to say, Dave, I'm really having a great time doing these stud casts now, and I, I really can't wait for next week myself, man. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm I'm really uh, all pumped about it, man. Just like it was uh, back in the day, 44 years ago, and uh, and I got the shot coming up. So <laughs> I want to thank everybody, uh, you know, listening around the world. Uh, don't miss the next stud cast. Uh, if you're a stud cast fan, the next one is 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 it's it's beautiful. It it's it's going to be amazing. And tell your friends about us so they can they can saddle up and uh, take a little ride in the history, too. Take care of yourselves out there and others, and uh, may God bless us all. God bless you, too, Stud. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.